Bibles to, Ma- uh, to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, as we continue our studies in the life of Christ. And the topic we're looking at right now is Christ's miracles over demons. And we're going to look at the demons that were cast out in the two men in the Gadarenes. So let's begin with our text in, Math- in Mark 5. And read verses 1 through 20, and then we'll see how the message ministers to us. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come, this is speaking of Jesus, when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Notice here, this is important, verse 13, that that they sought Jesus' permission to go into the swine. You see, Jesus, Satan has to get Christ's permission for everything. Satan doesn't have power of his own without God. He has to go before God, and he has to seek his permission. So Satan is not God's equal. He's not even comparable to him. He's powerful, but again, he has to go before the Lord and get permission before he can do whatever. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion Notice, he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him, that is Christ, that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and that all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, out of the 33 miracles that Jesus performed uh, in the Gospels, four of them that is recorded that the miracles recorded in the Gospels, four of them had to do with casting out demons. The problem of demon possession during Jesus' earthly ministry, it was a common thing. You see, it reflected the fact that Satan increased his evil to counter the manifestation of God through Jesus Christ. 
You see, whenever God does a great work, you can bet Satan will always try to counter it with extra opposition. The incarnation of Jesus was truly a great work of God. So the increased demonic activity during his life on earth isn't surprising. Now, demons crave living in a body, whether it's the body of an animal or the body of a human. And it could be one demon or it could be multitudes of demons like it is here. Casting out demons was one of the things that Jesus was called to do. The scripture tells us in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And even though Satan and demons are different, they are both on the same wicked team. And the demons are a manifestation of Satan's evil character in everything that they did. So if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, one of the things that he will do is to cast out demons. Now, one of the most detailed stories in Scripture of Jesus casting out demons is the one that we're going to look at this morning, where Jesus cast out demons from two men in Gadara. Now, Matthew calls it the Gergesenes. Mark and Luke calls it the Gadarenes. Now, this is not a contradiction, but different names and spellings for the same area. The casting out of these demons took place not long after Jesus calmed the stormy seas. Remember when he was asleep in the boat. Jesus ordered the disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee. But while they were on their way, a storm came up. The timing of the storm gives us a lesson about our enemy. Jesus had important work to do on the other side of the lake, which was, and that is, to set these men free from the demons. But Satan tried to stop that work. And he used the storm that had come up. Now, I don't believe that Satan caused the storm, but I believe he took the opportunity to use the storm to carry out his work. Because, you see, I believe that God controls everything, including the weather. All right. We read in Genesis eight twenty two: as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So again, as long as, as, as you know, the earth remains and as long as God is in charge, which is for all eternity, there's going to be summer, winter, spring and fall. That will never change. We read in Psalm 74, 17, you have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. You see, God is in complete control, but Satan will take advantage of certain situations. Satan would try to stop the work of God even before it gets started. In Matthew, it says that there were two possessed men. Mark and Luke, they mention only one. Not a problem. You see, Mark and Luke focus on the more prominent of the two. Demons used to be angels, but they were thrown down from heaven with their master, the devil, when he rebelled. What actually happens is demon possession is the person. It, what actually happens in demon possession is that the person is invaded bodily by a demon or demons. What they do is they take over the spiritual and physical influence of that person and they bring discord and disharmony to that person's life. Many dysfunctional problems that people have today can be, but not always, attributed to demon possession. Mental diseases with their unpredictable behavior and a lot of it due to, to drugs along with physical diseases. They often go to de together with demon possession. 
The unpredictable behavior of some criminals and political leaders suggests demon possession. Many people believe that Hitler was demon possessed. He was a wild man whose demon like behavior was evident both in his public life and private. But we have to be careful again not to judge every case of mental disease or other like diseases caused by demon possession. Insanity, epilepsy, blindness, dumbness, and so on, they often accompanied or were symptoms of demon possession in the scriptures. But again, we're not necessarily identified with it. We don't believe that a saved person, that is one indwelt by the Holy Spirit, can be possessed. Now, Satan can obsess us, depress us, distress us, harass us, but he can't possess us. We don't see demon possession of a believer in Scripture. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are, the, you are of God, little children. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Matthew tells us in Matthew 8, 28, when Jesus had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men. They came out of the tombs. They were exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. Then here in Mark chapter 5, verse 2, we read, And when he had come out of the boat, that is Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So as soon as Jesus landed on the shore, two demon-possessed men met him and the disciples. Again, Mark says in verse 6 here, they had seen Jesus from afar off. Matthew tells us why they were meeting Jesus. In Matthew 8, 28, again, it says they were exceedingly fierce. And here's it, here it is, so that no one could pass that way. In other words, they were there to stop Jesus. They were like junkyard dogs protecting their property, their territory. They were not going to allow Jesus to enter their space. And you see, that's why Satan battles so hard when it comes to you wanting to know Christ or at altar call when the, when the Holy Spirit you know, is tugging at your heart and he's saying, come, and you know it's the right thing to do. The demons are exceedingly fierce and they are there fighting every, you know, every inch of the way to keep you from getting up from your seat and coming to Christ. They're like these here. They're exceedingly fierce. They don't want you to they don't want you to enter into Christ's territory and vice versa. They don't want Jesus coming into your life. They were there to stop Jesus. Luke says these demon possessed men had been this way for a long time. And he says they wore no clothes. You sin, sin makes us naked and not ashamed. Sin never improves morals. Sin just makes them worse. But when people get saved and right with God, we see many times it changes the way they dress. Their nakedness speaks to us about our nakedness before God because of sin. The redeemed can say this in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Luke says in Mark 5, 3 and 5, that his dwelling place, this particular man, his dwelling place was among the tombs. Mark says, and also, and the mountains. In Luke it says, and the wilderness. So this particular man, his dwelling place was among the tombs, the mountains, and the wilderness. This tells us a few things about the dwelling places of these two men. 
First of all, it says they dwelt in the tombs. Now, tombs were large holes that were cut out of the limestone. A person could walk into many of them. But living in tombs, that meant that you were living among the dead and the unclean. Now, Numbers 19, it tells the Jews about the uncleanness of dead bodies. If you touched a dead body, you were deemed unclean. Sin causes people to dwell in the places of the dead and the unclean. Bars and nightclubs that, 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 that don't really have any true life in them. They represent the dead and unclean places. There's no real life in them. Secondly, dwelling in the mountains means that they live in caves in the mountains and the hills. Abraham's nephew Lot ended up in the mountains because of his sin there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Even though the Lord was the one who sent Lot to the mountains, it was all because of sin. There was nothing honorable here about his abiding in the holes of dirt and shame. Third, these men dwelt in the wilderness. It speaks of barrenness, nothingness. Sin makes a person barren of things. Sin brings barrenness into a person's life. It puts, it, it puts us in the desert, spiritually speaking. A lot of people who walk around in the world, though they have wealth and riches, their souls are as barren as the wilderness. Their hearts and souls are empty. They're void of anything of substance in the Lord. Fourth, they were homeless. Neither one lived in a house. That's what sin does. Sin ruins the home. Many, many homes today have been ruined because of sin. Today, we have a huge homeless problem today in our society. Now, some of them have legitimate, unfortunate circumstances that have happened in their life. But the Bible says that a lot of people become poor because they're lazy. Proverbs 10, 4, he who has a, st- a slack hand becomes poor. Some people are poor because they refuse good counsel. Proverbs uh, thirteen eighteen says poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. Proverbs 23 says an idle chatter leads only to poverty. Some people are poor because of having the wrong values. Proverbs 16, 16 says how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Some people are poor because of poor planning. Proverbs 21, 15 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Some people are poor because they follow sinful pleasures. Proverbs 21, 17, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. So the Bible tells us many times why people are in the situations that they're in. And again, the world ignores what the Bible says. We need good homes today in order to have good churches, to have good government, to have good schools and a good society. The poor condition of a lot of homes is why we have such a decline in all of these areas today, because many homes are in such bad shape. They are without Christ. Also, the condition of these men showed how unhappy they were. Look at here in Mark chapter 5, verse 5. Notice what it says. It says, always, night and day, always, night and day, he was in the mountains, he was in the tombs, and he was crying out. Night and day. What does that tell you? Sin never satisfies. Sin never satisfies. 
it destroys and it disappoints. It will make you cry. These men were crying out. The sinner is looking for something new. The sinner is looking for some new thrill, some new adventure, something different, something exciting to do because they're never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 1.8, Solomon said, everything is wearisome beyond description. In other words, everything gets old after a while. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. We're always looking for something new. How the world doesn't bring contention or contentment to our soul. The world doesn't bring us joy, not long lasting joy, not everlasting joy. Psalm 107, 9 says, but he, that is God, satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. With goodness. The demon possessed men in Luke 8, 29 says they were driven by the devil into the wilderness. Notice they were driven. Understand the devil is in the driver's seat, people. The devil is in the driver's seat. Remember, and I remember used to seeing the, 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 the bumper sticker that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. He better be the pilot. <laughs> co-pilot, can you imagine? No, he better be the pilot. But this demon-possessed man, they were driven by the devil into the wilderness. You see, Satan dictates your life to you whether you believe it or not or admit it or not. He dictates your life to you. Now, the world calls this freedom. They don't know that they are in bondage to him, that he calls the shots. You see, one of the, one of the, the, the greatest tricks of Satan is making you believe he doesn't exist, that he's not real, that he's just some, you know, uh, uh, makeup character. People think that the Christian is in bondage. The world thinks that you and I are in bondage to a bunch of do's and don'ts or to the church or, or, or people. That we're not allowed to have any fun while the sinner has all the freedom. Well, if, if the sinner has all the freedom, why in the world did we come to Christ? Because we didn't have any freedom. We knew that there was something missing. The sinner is driven by the devil to the barren places in their life. He's the one who brings us to those places that we end up, those barren places in our life. They're driven into slavery. Slavery, slavery to drugs or alcohol or porn or whatever else it might be. Then we see the disfigurement of sin. Sin makes people ugly. Verse 5 here in Mark says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and, notice, cutting himself with stones they were disfiguring themselves and if you remember not many years ago our young people took to cutting themselves they were called cutters they would cut their arms their wrists their legs their stomach and their chest to control the emotional pain that they were going through whatever that was but in the long run cutting long run cutting led to more phys- more severe depression and as we know it can also cause permanent physical damage And people more and more are disfiguring their bodies today in all kinds of different ways. And the scripture tells us that that, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't belong to me. The Bible says I was bought by I was bought with a price and that was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And my body is to be used for the glory of God and whatever purposes he has fit for me. 
Then we see the defiance of sin. In verse 4 here, it says, They had often been bound with shackles and chains, neither could anyone tame him. The word tame means restrain. You see, unless Jesus Christ is in my life, there's no restraining of sin. Society couldn't hold these two men. They couldn't get these two men to live a, a sociable lifestyle. These men were wild. They were uncontrollable. They were not decent, law-abiding citizens. They defied, this, they defied decency. They defied goodness and respect of other people. They had to be bound. We would say today, imprisoned. Verse 4 here says they were often bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Notice here that this shows us the superhuman strength of these demon possessed men. It also gives us a powerful picture of the mighty power of sin. Sin has the power to ruin and to destroy. And then as Jesus cast out these demons, he asked them in verse 9, notice, what is your name? What is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now a legion in the Roman army was 3,000 to 6,000 men. Mary, Mary Magdalene had seven demons. But these two men were possessed by thousands at one time. This shows us the abundance of sin and the abundance of evil as well as the power of Jesus Christ to overcome sin. All we have to do is look around today and we see all the sin that's in our world today. Even before the flood, listen to what the scripture says. The earth was corrupt and filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Genesis 6, 11 and 12. So Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's all he thought about was evil. You see, it wasn't just a few evil thoughts. And it wasn't just once in a while. It was every imagination of the thoughts continually. Sin was in abundance. Legion. Legion describes the sin before the flood and the sin problem today. Paul said in Romans 1.29, filled with all unrighteousness. That perfectly describes our nation today. It's filled with all unrighteousness. So why did Jesus ask the possessed man his name? Because he wanted to get a confession that would help to show the power of Jesus. You see, when we know that thousands of demons were present in these two men, the power of Jesus is honored much more than if it was only one or two demons that were cast out. And this also shows us the greatness of Jesus's power in overcoming problems from the smallest to the greatest, whether it's one or or, or, or 10,000. Now, the demons asked the Lord not to do two things. First, they asked him in Mark 5, 7, not to torment them. Lord, have you come to torment us? Secondly, in Matthew eight twenty nine, they said, don't command us to go out into the deep. You see, the only place that sin can lead you is to the deep, which means the abyss, the bottomless pit. 
That's where you will end up without salvation in the bottomless pit with these demons and Satan when that time comes. You see, what they spoke of was their future destiny. Don't send us to the deep. Don't send us to the abyss, the bottomless pit. You see, they didn't want to experience the pain or the place where they were going. But Jesus commanded in Luke 8, 29, commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And Jesus cast out thousands of demons with just a few words. You see, there was great power in Christ's command. And that shows us the great power of the word of God. It's sad today. But it seems today that the powerful, authoritative, thus says the Lord, has been forgotten or replaced by thus says the professor or thus says science or whatever else the God of this world proclaims. Many people are no longer believing in the word of God and the power of the word of God that it can uh, radically transform a person's life. It only took a few words from the Savior's mouth to remove thousands of demons. That's why we need to get into the Word of God so that you'll have the power to conquer all the enemies of your soul. The world tried to cure these men from the outside by using chains and shackles. But Jesus started to heal these men from the inside. You see, men only treat the symptoms with their programs and their drugs and their therapy and their money. But you see, Jesus goes straight to the source of the problem, which is the heart of man. In the words of Warren Wiersbe, he says, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And only Jesus Christ can change a heart. So we preach Jesus Christ as the answer and the remedy for sin. You see, Jesus cleans us from the inside, which is the best way to correct the problem on the outside. And I love the aftermath of these men set free from their demons. In Luke 8, 35, it says, after the demons were cast out of the man, it says the man was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed and in his right mind. Where before they were wandering around day and night, naked and out of their minds. Notice the man is sitting here. This is a picture of resting. This was a new position for this man. What a difference from his constant roaming and wandering around the tombs and the mountains and the wilderness day and night crying out. It reminds us of Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, when Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the only one can give us rest, real rest. One of the problems of sin is discontent, lack of peace, and lack of rest. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21 says, But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. There is no peace for the wicked. Before these men were set free, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. 
But now one of them wants to sit in reverence and respect before him. That's because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You see, when Christ comes into a life, I want to be different. I want to act different. I want to think different because I am different. Before these men were set free, they were running around naked. But now they're wearing clothes. This is a picture of the righteous robe of salvation that Christ gives us when we come to him. Wherever the gospel is preached and whenever it's received, it affects the morals of mankind, which is seen here. And in Luke 8, 35, it says he's in his right mind. People think we're crazy when we come to Jesus. The world is crazy apart from Jesus. See, Satan wants people to think that following Jesus is crazy, it's foolish, it's unintellectual, it's stupid. But it's the very opposite. Proverbs 14.1 says, It's fools and not wise men who reject God. It is sin that is causing the world to go mad. It is sin that is causing the, the, the thinking process to be perverted and upside down. And mental institutions are, are, are filling up because of sin today. The rationale, the thinking of our secular anti-God society and education is so twisted and perverted today. This is made clear in how the Constitution can be made to, to, to outlaw Bible and prayer in schools, even though the Constitution says that the government shall not prohibit the free exercise of religion. But you see, when Jesus comes into a person's life, the mind gets straightened out and it begins to think sanely. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.24 that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of God. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask it what? Ask his praying. And he'll give it to you freely. Now, after the Demons were cast out of these two men. The demons wanted to go into the swine of pigs that were being kept by some of the, the, the people there. And Jesus cast out the demons and they went into a herd of pigs. And those pigs went over the cliff and they drowned. Now, did Jesus have the right to permit the legion of demons to destroy a herd of 2,000 pigs? And maybe put the owners out of business. Remember, God owns everything. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11. And he can do whatever he pleases with it. Psalm 15, 3 says, Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Plus, these two men were worth a whole lot more than a bunch of unclean pigs. The community should have thanked Jesus for what he had done. They should have thanked him for getting rid of these two dangerous men from their neighborhood. But instead, they begged Jesus to leave town. These two men had just been mirac miraculously transformed. And you would think because the people saw this, this, this miracle they would have asked Jesus to stay. And you know what? Heal others here who were sick and afflicted. 
Not only that, it was unlawful for Jews to have anything to do with pigs. These two men were miraculously transformed. But clearly, money was more important to them than mercy. So they asked Jesus to leave. Now, one of the men that were delivered, he kept asking Jesus to let him travel with him. Lord, I, I want to go with you. I want to help you. What a, tr- a change in the direction of this man's life when he er- earlier had met him on the shore to stop him from passing by. Now he wants to follow him. He wants to help him in his ministry. This guy had more spiritual discernment than all the other citizens put together. But in the eyes of the Lord, the man wasn't ready yet to become a disciple. The man loved the Lord and understandably so. And the man had a powerful testimony. But you see, Jesus knew he needed to go home. He needed to be with his family where he could be a witness to them. There's the best place to be a witness. That's where it has to start. One person said, if you can't live it at home, don't export it. You see, effective Christian living has to start at home where people know us the best. If we honor God in our homes, then we can think about taking our witness somewhere else. So we read at the very beginning in verse 18, notice it says, And when he, that is Jesus, got out of the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. Verse 20, And he, that is the man, I'm sorry, that Jesus uh, departed, and and I'm sorry, the man that was uh, was sent free from the demons, He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and they all marveled. He became, after Jesus left, and he went back home, and he began to proclaim what Jesus had done. He had become one of the earliest missionaries to the Gentiles. After Jesus left, the man stayed faithful to the grace and the power of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And most likely, many of those Gentiles got saved because of this one witness. That's all it takes to start a revival. That's all it takes to start a great work of God. One person. One person that has given their life to Christ and has followed Him in body and in spirit. Jesus is the only one that can change a heart, thus changing a life. You see, God is life-changing, and he's the only one that has the power to do it. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful chapter, Lord, this beautiful example of the power of God, the power of your word, Lord, the freedom that it gives a living soul, the power that it gives the transformation that it makes, Lord. We become new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away, the old desires, the old sins, the old life. They've passed away and everything becomes new. 
a new start in life, a clean slate, all my sins erased, forgiven under the blood. And I get a second chance in life to do things right and to serve, to serve the true and living God. Maybe you're here this morning and and you don't know Jesus Christ. And maybe you can relate to a lot of the the things that these two demon-possessed men went through. Discontent in your life. You're not really happy. You haven't found true happiness. The lack of peace. Just a lot of trouble and turmoil in your life all the time. A lack of rest. Wandering around from here to there. Seeking that discontentment. Seeking to find satisfaction in life. Only Jesus Christ brings true peace. You have to know God. You have to make peace with God before you can experience the peace of God. And the only way you can do that is through a new life in Christ. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship. And as they do, if God has spoken to your heart and you recognize the truth of God's word, and you want to receive a new radical change life like this man did then as we worship you get up out of your seat you make your way towards the steps up front and i'll meet you there and when the song's over we'll pray together a life transforming prayer